Good morning and welcome to the 7am Bible, daily Bible studies for busy people. This is Paul Chapman and we're at episode number 23. Thanks for listening. Let's uh, pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and mercy to us. We thank you for your good night's rest. We thank you for waking us refreshed to a brand new day. And we pray now for your Holy Spirit to guide us as we open your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been going through the life of Jacob in this series of meditations. We're in week number five. And in our last episode, Jacob met Rachel, the love of his life. She was his cousin and her father was Laban, Jacob's mother's brother. Jacob was overjoyed at uh, having found his relatives here in Haran and now Laban invites him to stay a month and he stays there a month and Jacob uh, didn't become idle in that month. He worked quite hard and Laban saw how diligent and skillful Jacob was that as a herdsman that he offered him a job. Now his wages, Jacob asked for Rachel's hand in marriage. Laban agreed to give her to Jacob in return for seven years of labor. Now, we might think that this was a long time, but but let's read what the Bible says they were to Jacob. I'm going to read here from Genesis 29 and verse 20. It says, And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days, for the love he had to her. You know, that's how it is with true love. Love makes long and hard services short and easy. When you love what you're doing, or love the person you're doing it for, it doesn't seem like work at all. It's a labor of love. I don't know if you realize, but that expression comes straight from the Bible. We read it in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Which ye, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. You see, our whole Christian life is a labor of love, and it will not be hard at all to serve God when we love him. Jesus said as much in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Did you note that? Jesus makes our burdens and labors light. I want to share with you from uh, uh, a commentary here on Ellen White on this. She writes this, When as erring sinful beings we come to Jesus, we may find rest in his love. God will accept everyone that comes to him, trusting wholly in the merits of a crucified Savior. Love springs up in the heart. There is no ecstasy of feeling, but an abiding, peaceful trust. Every burden is light, for the yoke that Christ imposes is easy. Duty becomes a delight and sacrifice a pleasure. The path that before seemed shrouded in darkness becomes bright with the beams from the Son of Righteousness. This is walking in the light as Christ is in the light. And that's from uh, an article that she wrote many years ago, Review and Herald, in uh, June 17, 1884. Now, did you note that? Duty becomes a delight and sacrifice a pleasure. That's why some people end up doing so much for God without reward. They do it for love. As I've mentioned in episode 15, a, a Christian is not living for this world. They're living for the next. In the words of Matthew Henry, if we know how to value the happiness of heaven, the sufferings of this present time will be as nothing to us. 
An age of work will be but as a few days to those that love God and long for Christ's appearing. And don't you long for Christ's appearing? I know I do. And I love serving him. I love working for him. And even this podcast is a, is a pleasure and joy to do, even though it takes a, wakes me up early in the morning to get it done. And so with Jacob, he counted his seven years as nothing but a few days for the love he had for Rachel. This was true love. I want to share again from Ellen White on this. She writes this, What a contrast to the course now pursued by parents and children. There are many unhappy marriages because of so much haste. Two unite their interest at the marriage altar by most solemn vows before God without previously weighing the matter and devoting time to sober reflection and earnest prayer. Many move from impulse. They have no thorough acquaintance with the dispositions of each other. They do not realize that the happiness of their whole life is at stake. If they move wrong in this matter, and their marriage life proves unhappy, it cannot be taken back. If they find they are not calculated to make each other happy, they must endure it, they must endure it the best they can. In some instances, the husband proves to be too indolent to provide for a family and his wife and children suffer. If the ability of such had been proved, as was the custom anciently before marriage, much misery would have been saved. Now that's why it's good today to demonstrate that you are worthy of marrying somebody by ensuring you can provide for yourself. If you can provide for yourself, it demonstrates that you can provide for a family. And that can take some time to demonstrate. And it's good also when a couple is courting to, to spend time together observing each other in their own households, in their family households. How do they get on with the parents? How do they, uh, what do they do around the home? How do they help around the home? Things like that. You get to know the person that way first before you think about anything else. Now, I was reading that in this ancient culture, Jacob was not allowed to spend as much time as he wanted with Rachel. There were strict social guidelines keeping unmarried men and women apart from each other. This clearly demonstrates an important principle. True love waits. I was reading that in 1990, in response to the excesses of the sexual revolution, some 400 concerned single adults joined what was called the National Chastity Association. One member, a uh, legal secretary, uh, described her commitment to celibacy before her marriage. She, wrote, she uh, said this, It comes from my religion, but it's more than that. She said, I feel it's just such a precious part of yourself. You don't give it to someone when you haven't made the commitment of marriage. Mary Meyer, the founder and, and a divorced mother of two, confirmed that the organization, after three years in operation, had been rendered temporarily inactive. She said that the group had become so popular that it seemed that it sometimes received hundreds of letters in a day. I think that's encouraging, and that's how it should be if you want to experience the blessing of God in your marriage. I'm speaking here to the unmarried, of course. Mary Meyer said the group isn't against it isn't, isn't against sex. She says, I love hand-holding, I love kissing, I love caressing, she says, but even more than, than I would love to experience these things right now, I want to be able to have a relationship where I can experience them forever. This is the kind of wisdom and heart that Jacob had. 
In the 1990s also, there was a successful campaign among teenagers titled True Love Waits. It persuaded them to take the following pledge. And this is the pledge here. Believing that true love waits, I make a commitment to God, myself, my family, those I date, my future mate and my future children to be sexually pure until the day I enter a covenant marriage relationship. So if you're listening to this today and you're looking to get married, I encourage you to take this pledge. But give your heart to God when you do, because only He can help you be true to it. So what happened to Jacob after his seven years of hard work to obtain the hand of Rachel in marriage? Well, let's read it in Genesis 29 verses 21 to 26. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave his, unto his daughter Leah Zilpah his maid, for an handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did I not serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Can you believe that? After working seven years for Rachel, Laban cheats Jacob into marrying Leah. And Leah was a party to the fraud. You might wonder how Jacob could have been deceived, but remember the bridal, you remember from uh, episode one that the bridal veil covered the whole body. And I'm guessing being fairly dark in the tent, it would have been easy to deceive Jacob. I can't help but think of the fraud Jacob practiced on his own father and brother with the help of his mother, Rebecca. It seems practicing deception was a strong family flaw in the descendants of Nahor. Abraham practiced it, Isaac practiced it, Jacob did the same with his mother's help, and now his mother's brother does the same thing to him. What a saga. You know what the Bible says? Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's Galatians 6 and verse 7. Don't deceive yourself. Whatever you sow, that you will also reap. For some of us, like Jacob, we reap it in this life. In Jacob's case, it was a hard harvest to reap. I cannot imagine the disappointment he must have felt, and there was nothing to change the fact. Leah was now his wife. But because she had cheated on him, or in this case with him, he could not love her as his wife, not in the way he loved Rachel. He was so upset. What is this that was done unto me? Did I not serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? You know, basically, Jacob was saying, why have you done this to me? Well, Jacob was learning what it feels like to be deceived. You see, in God's kingdom, there is no bearing of false witness. There is no deception. Falsehood and deceit are tools of the enemy. Jacob needed to overcome this tendency if he was to represent the character of God as the heir of God's covenant blessings. God considers honesty and truthfulness of such value among his people that he inspired Isaiah to write in Isaiah 63 verse 8, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their saviour. This story also highlights for me the character of Laban. If it was true that he wanted his older daughter to be married off first, according to the custom of the day, then Laban should have raised this with Jacob from the outset. 
But here I think Laban has his own financial interests at heart. He had been blessed by Jacob's services and he wanted to retain them. Giving him Leah was a way to hook him into serving seven more years. Laban entreated Jacob not to put away Leah for this would be considered a great disgrace not only to the wife but to the whole family. Jacob had every right to put her away. But out of respect for Laban's family honour, he kept Leah as his wife. But what now of Rachel? Well, we'll see what happens in our next episode. For me today, the takeaway is this, that number one, when it comes to true love, we're reminded that true love waits. When we give our hearts to Jesus, his love so fills us that duty becomes a delight and sacrifice a pleasure. And when it comes to working for him and doing God's will, that we will do it willingly and joyfully. And it doesn't, it's, it's not a burden to us. In fact, the burden becomes light and easy because we're yoked up with Jesus. And again, when it comes to trusting in God to work out his will in our life, we will always practice truthfulness and honesty. We won't you know, resort to deception and, and falsehood. Unfortunately, that's something that Jacob's family um, had to learn. And uh, we'll see in our story going on exactly how Jacob learned that lesson. So let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for our meditation this morning that reminds us of what true love is, that true love waits, and that we will give our hearts fully to you so that your love can inspire us, that that when we are called to do your will, Lord, that duty becomes a delight and sacrifice a pleasure. Also, we are reminded not to practice deception, Lord, in our lives, but to always practice truthfulness and honesty. So may you help us to do this this day in all that we do and wherever we go, Father, and we pray this in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the 7 a.m. Bible this morning. I trust you've enjoyed the meditation. And don't forget, wherever you're going today, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, take the Lord with you, be prayerful, be careful, and have a great day. And I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of the 7 a.m. Bible. Lost to be here all alone, they know not what they're doing. To them it's not clear that I'm dying to save them from ruin. I pray they'll believe and one day understand what I'm giving. But now I'm alone, betrayed, and so sad that they may be forgiven. Look what I did there for thee. Look at me beaten and crushed on my knees. Look what I did there for thee. All of my tears and my blood that I sacrificed for you. Though so many fears had me wanting to escape the going through. Why can't you believe me though I was so honest here with you? And how can you say that you sinned when you felt that you had to? 
Look what I did there for thee Torn hit and beaten and nailed to a tree Look what I did there for thee Look what he did there for 